Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Hi, Joshua here, producer for Living Wealthy Radio. I think you're going to find today's show very interesting. In it, we ask a pretty serious question. Is the United States the best country to live and do business in? If you think it is, why do you think that? Could it be we don't objectively analyze the country we're born into? What if there are other places that treated you better? Maybe they offer a lower corporate tax rate, better services, a friendlier culture, um, lower income taxes, safer investment opportunities, etc. Could you shop around for a country of residence like it were a marketplace? In this talk, Teresa's guest explains how shopping around has made all the difference for him and his businesses. He was able to look past patriotism and regional bias and simply find different countries that meant more sense for what he wanted out of life. It's a fascinating discussion that really makes you think outside the box. It makes you really just see the world as a much bigger place, full of options and potential. Hang around. Today's enriching fact of the day is that the best way to achieve your goals is to stop talking about them. Apparently, having a goal and working hard to achieve a goal are not one and the same. Who would have guessed, right? But seriously, psychologists have found that Announcing your plans to achieve something great or impressive sparks an emotional high or a mental reward that robs you of the motivation you need to actually achieve the goal. In today's world of social media, it almost doesn't seem official unless we announce it on Twitter, right? Gonna lose 10 pounds? Post it to Facebook. Planning on reading five books in one month? Tell your friends on Instagram. Starting a new business? Make a video about it on YouTube. Just think about all the likes and virtual high fives you'll get from your friends cheering you on. That's got to be good motivation. I mean, that's positive reinforcement, right? Actually, no. It's negative. All the way back in 1933, psychologist Vera Mahler discovered that when something is acknowledged by others, it feels real in the mind. Today, psychologists call it social reality. A fake reality in which we feel satisfied as though we had achieved some goal simply because we said we would. A great author once noted that the books people talk about writing never get written. If you have a goal you really want to achieve, don't cash in on the good feelings of accomplishment until it's done. If you want accountability, well, fine. Tell your friends to ask you every day if you worked out that day or read your three chapters for the day or whatever work you have to do to actually get to your goal. But don't post your goal online and think it's going to get done. It probably won't. Today's enriching fact underscores the power of silent determination and hard work. Virtual reality isn't where success happens. Real achievements come from putting your head down, sweating it out, and putting in the time and effort to get what you want. Then announce what you've done. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. I'm sure we can all agree that having an attorney in your back pocket would be super helpful in our modern world. It seems like everything these days requires paperwork and contracts and legalese. But in spite of how much difference it would make to have a lawyer on tap for these occasions, well, lawyers are just too expensive, right? Well, only if you're still thinking inside the box. For nearly 50 years now, Legal Shield has been providing a unique way for you to have an entire law firm in the palm of your hand for one low monthly fee. It sounds crazy, right? But it really doesn't matter if it's preparing a will or handling a traffic ticket or whether it's looking over loan documents or helping you handle an IRS audit. For just one low monthly cost, you can have your own team of attorneys at your disposal. Legal Shield has a network of dedicated law firms in 50 states and four Canadian provinces made up of seasoned lawyers with an average of 22 years experience. Their provider law firms provide legal protection to over a million members, even in covered emergency situations, 24-7, 365 days a year. 
If you want to have the peace of knowing you're covered next time you face a legal situation, contact Larry Smith. He's a good friend, and he's been on the show before. Go to his website at iprotectpeople.com. Larry will be happy to protect your family, your business, and your personal identity with a simple, comprehensive coverage plan from Legal Shield. Joining us today is Andrew Henderson, an expert on global citizenship and the founder of Nomad Capitalist. He helps people find the best places to invest, live, start a business, bank, and more. Andrew has discovered the benefits of going wherever he is treated best, and he's going to share with us how this very unique perspective might create the best possible return on investment. So welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Andrew. So happy to have you on today. It's uh, great to be with you. So what exactly is nomad capitalism, and what led you to this radical approach, and radical is a relative term, of course, right? Well, what's interesting you know, what's interesting in the last um, 20 years is watching how people with all these radical opinions have been proven to be correct and, and how our view of society has changed and how I think people have, even in the Western world, uh, where it's not normal, have come to distrust their governments in certain ways. You look at you know several years ago when Edward Snowden came out and other people have talked about, and you've got a lot of uh, chaos going on, but... Uh, about 20-some years ago, when I was 12 years old, I was having a, just an average conversation with my father, who had been uh, looking into the idea of moving overseas. And it's not something we ever did as a family. My parents still live in the United States. Uh, but my father said, listen, uh, whether we do this or not, and my father was very conscious. He's a great family man. He was very conscious of, of kind of breaking our, um, you know, or disrupting the kids' lives. And I think that's part of the reason why he didn't do it, is he, he wanted to do the right thing by the kids. Uh, but he said, listen, Andrew, uh, even if we don't do this, I want you to make sure you go where you're treated best when you are an adult. I just started to become interested in business at 12 years old. Uh, and he said, uh, don't think you have to stay in the same city or even the same U.S. state. Uh, don't even think you have to stay in the country to take care of your parents. Uh, my my parents had a great, uh, I guess what they would call a Protestant work ethic, and they believed in taking care of themselves. They didn't want that burden to fall on me. And he said, uh, listen, we'll be fine. Uh, you just go where you're treated best. And I didn't think about much about it for a while until I got older and went into business at 19, 20 years old after, after dropping out of school. And... Uh, becoming successful, you know, 22 years old and started making pretty good money and got a big tax bill. And meanwhile, I remember being 22 years old and I had friends dragging me to bars, you know, saying, you know, come on, you're working all the time, you know, come out and drink. And I didn't drink at the time, but I'd go to these bars and I would sit next to, you know, their friends, these 22-year-old girls who would make fun of me for wearing cufflinks. And I said to myself, I'm paying a fortune to live here. It's costing me a lot of money in tax. I don't really get along with people that well. Like I feel like there's got to be a place where there are more people like me who share my views on the world. And so I started traveling and I started researching, you know, this whole global citizenship thing. And so to me, go where you're treated best is finding the best of everything. We talk primarily about finances from, from banks to where's the best company, where's the best tax rate, where's the best place to live, where's the best passport. Um, but it can apply to anything in life. Go where you're treated best. So you said so much there um, that I'd like to dissect a little bit. So you, you talked about how, you know, you had been doing, um, I, I think from a society perspective, there are things that some of us have known for a long time that has come true, right? Or has been more obvious to more people. And you talked about Snowden and some other stuff. And I'd like to dig into what used to be conspiracy theories stuff about governments and society that people thought there's no way that's crazy. And, you know, now it's just like part of our social uh, understanding and anything specific you want to reference there. I've got a a whole bunch of stuff, but want to make sure we, we, we don't go too far off the beaten path. Well, well, 
here's the here's how my perspective has changed over the years. I left the U.S. for good. I guess it's been about seven years now. I I did some pretty intense travel. I spent a majority of my time overseas for a while. Before that, I spent a a minority of my my time traveling overseas and learning this stuff. And so I'm going into my 13th year of studying it, and each year just gets better and better from an execution level. And and now spent about seven or eight years helping people with this stuff. But um, uh, you know, here's what I've learned. The more detached from what I've left that I become, um, the I treat it differently. And I'll say, I'll give you an example. I made a video the other day. It was on our YouTube channel. It was a bit off what I normally talk about. I normally talk about how to get a passport or the new banking opportunity, new investment, whatever. Uh, but I said, you know, <laughs> so all you guys out there who are following this movement, you know, the red pill movement, for example, I hear you. Because uh, you know what? I mean, as I said, I had, you know, I was 22 years old. I had trouble uh, finding people who I identified with. I hear you. And, and some of the laws, uh, they are unfair. But, you know, the longer I've been away from the United States and I see how it works in the rest of the world, the more calm, the happier I become, the more I focus on running to something uh, rather than running away from something. Uh, for me, I think that there are far better investment uh, opportunities um, if you're particularly in real estate or private equity, or if you're an entrepreneur looking to start something, uh, I think there's far better opportunities overseas. I see it all the time. I think you've got better banks overseas, even though the average person in the United States would never dare leave, you know, Bank of America or Chase or whatever their bank is. Um, I think that, I mean, those banks don't even crack the top whatever uh, on all the international banking lists. And so, we could go on and on and on down the list. We put out something called the Nomad Passport Index every year. We'll be ranked the quality of each nationality in a number of factors. The U.S. passport came in, I believe, at 35th this year. Um, so it means there are 34 passports that are better. also means there are 165 or so that are worse. So it's not like it's the worst thing on earth, but it's far from the best. And the problem, I guess, is that everyone just thinks wherever they're from is the best. Uh, all my wife's friends from Russia think, think Russia's the best. People here in Colombia think it's the best. People in the U.S. think it's the best. Well, which one is it? Because they can't all be the best. Agreed. And I think from a society perspective, especially if you've grown up in America, right, and you haven't been red-pilled, we, we do think we have a constitutional government and we have rights and we have security and we have all sorts of things that's part of you know, society, you just, you know, you're born into it and this is what you believe you have, right? There's a conditioning that occurs. And then you get red-pilled and you start realizing, oh my gosh, what I thought was true or how I was raised to think or conditioned to think isn't really true. But what else is out there that isn't true? If Is the grass greener on the other side? At least in the U.S., I know what I know right? Even if I'm red-pilled and awake, at least I know some things. But I go to another country and I have no idea uh, what I don't know. I don't know what is a lie, what is truth. So, you know, it's it's kind of like, gosh, who do you believe? Especially after you've been red-pilled, right? Especially when you, you can see through the matrix what do you believe and how do you trust um, an organization like you or or anyone to leave this country and go invest your money and spend time in another country, in a foreign land, so to speak? How do you, if the question is, you know, how do you uh, know where to start? Um, I, I don't know that you do know where to start. I think the beautiful thing is looking back on my, a business career, I mean, 19 years old, uh, going in 20, um, starting a business in my little loft apartment. I mean, it's, it's a tale, one of the oldest tales in the book, right? Guy in a loft apartment uh, starts a, a business with a, a cheap phone and a laptop. Um, I don't think I knew what I was doing. I don't think I, I knew what I was doing when I started to research this stuff. It fascinated me. And so how do you know where to go? Well, increasingly difficult question, because the interesting thing is, unlike when I was born in 1984, when the United States was the best place statistically to be born, now it's, I think, around number 20, uh, there are a lot of new, a lot of new countries competing. 
So back then, you know, in 1995, I'm 11, 12 years old. My parents are talking about moving to New Zealand. There weren't that many other choices. I mean, my father talking about Chile, he was like 15 years ahead of his time um, before Chile really became this great place that everyone started talking about. Um, so I don't know what you do. I think that like business, you learn by doing it or you learn through mentorship. Um, that's something that I do for folks where they say, hey, you know what, I'd like to pay 5% tax somewhere. We go through and we ask them two or 300 questions and we poke and we prod and we run through scenarios and we figure it out. There's that way. Or there's just go dip your toe in and then dip it in further and then dip it in further and then just jump in the pool. So once you're red-pilled and you understand that what we've been conditioned to believe about the United States isn't true, have you learned that to be true with other countries? Like people grow up in, you know, let's say Chile or in Russia or in Colombia or New Zealand and they realize, shoot, you know, what, what we were conditioned to believe is also not true. I don't know that too many people in countries like Russia are growing up saying uh, our government is amazing. We love them. They can do no wrong. Why should we ever leave? We have everything we ever need here. We're wealthy. It's fantastic. And so, you know, people in the United States point to that and say, because their country sucks. Um, listen, I, <laughs> I mean, the United States has a certain amount of wealth, but I can also tell you that uh, you look at people who are my age and younger. I have people in my family who are, who are having tough times at 25 years old because the opportunities uh, just aren't there anymore. And so the, the, the time is turning. I think that the Western world has not seen anything uh, so bad. Uh, I mean, for example, I have a lot of people who work for me who are from Serbia and, and countries in that region, North Macedonia, for example. Um, they were around during a time of, uh, of inflation. Um, they were at a time uh, in, in during you know, war and chaos and all kinds of stuff. I mean, where money became worthless and you had to, you had to rush to the supermarket to buy stuff. Um, you know, I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I, I don't know if, you know, your dollar is going to become toilet paper tomorrow. I don't really buy into that. But what I do know is the U.S. and other countries like it have lost a competitive advantage. And so I don't know that Nicaragua, for example, or Colombia or, or Georgia, where I do a lot of, uh, uh deals, uh, I don't know if people ever thought that they were king of the world, whereas the U.S. has. And again, when I was born, very different map. Not that many countries in competition. Now you have a lot of countries in competition. And so they're competing for citizens. They're competing for American dollars. What, what are they competing for exactly? Well, well, let me tell you the story that I, that I often tell about my home in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I have homes around the world. I've bought homes as a way to, to be able to live in different places around the world. It just so happens to be a halfway decent tax strategy, but it's also a lifestyle strategy because I don't like staying in one place. So I own a home about 500 meters from the Petronas Towers. Uh, and when I bought the home a couple of years ago, I had a view of a Petronas Tower out the window. When I moved in about 11 months later, I had no view of any towers 500 meters away because there are so many 50-story buildings going up, and there actually is a bit of oversupply in Malaysia. It's more of a lifestyle investment for me than a, than a great uh, financial investment. Um, but if you go back uh, 20 years ago and watch the movie Entrapment with Sean Connery and, and I believe Catherine Zeta-Jones, and you look at how they were going to pull a heist at the newly built Petronas Towers, everything surrounding those towers was what they call in Malaysia a kampong, a village. There was nothing. And now it looks nothing like it. And so um, are they competing? I think they always wanted to compete. That's why they built the towers to put themselves on the map. And now people know what Malaysia is. Um, but the point is, it's easier for them to compete these days because it looks much more advanced than a lot of Western cities. You have a lot more amenities. You have all this development. And so now a person like me would go there, uh, whereas my father at my age would not want to go there because it was just a totally different place on a developmental level. And I think that, uh, you know, when you look at Trump, uh, Trump, Trump run for, uh, for president, Steve Bannon, one of his advisors said, you know, we emptied out the middle class in the United States to build one in Asia. 
I don't comment on these things, good or bad. I just take them as they are. And I think there's some truth to that. There is a huge middle-class explosion in Asia, which makes it a far more livable place for people like me who'd like to go and take advantage of friendly tax laws, lower cost of living, nicer people, more services, better climate, et cetera. So can you be a free uh, person living in those countries? And how would, you de- how would you define freedom? Well, I would define freedom as being able to do what you want. Um, we, you know, obviously that we don't want to be out killing people or doing stuff like that. Um, not every country is free. Um, you know, one thing, it, it, I'm not a particular fan of Thailand. I don't blame people for wanting to live there. Um, but, you know, you get on the, on the metro in Bangkok and, uh, they're checking you and they're looking at your bag and it's a lot of nonsense. Um, so to me, freedom is, uh, can you live the way that you want? Can you be left alone? Um, can you do what you want with your money within reason? Um, but I think that a lot of those freedoms are going the way, away in the Western world. And I think that the problem is the paradigm that most people have is, again, our country's the best. Uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, they do a study every year of, or all the time, I guess, of the U.S. Uh, or America's approval of Congress. And Congress has like a 9% approval rating. Yet somehow everyone loves their congressman. Right? I mean, there's no congressman who gets 9% approval rating from his own, his own uh, district. But people hate Congress as a whole. And so I think people like to complain about government, but yet they think that theirs is pretty good. No, they're all pretty bad, actually. And in particular, the Western governments have the advantage because the people are so low to sleep that, uh, oh, uh, I, had, uh, I had my grandmother uh, send me a, 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 a check, like a paper check, right, for my birthday. You know, she sends me some money for my birthday. Uh, my parents, I think, brought it to my wedding because I don't, I'm not live in the United States. And she didn't know where to send it. So she sent it, I get a mailbox. She sent it, there. my parents brought it to me. I said, can you go and deposit it for me? They go to deposit it. I'm sorry, we can't deposit this $100 check from the guy's grandmother. Um, people are really, um, things have really gone off the reservation in a lot of the Western world. And I think people don't realize it. So what are some of the best countries you would say to live in and live from, let's say, starting a business or investing in, you know, um, I've got a lot of clients that are, uh, have second citizenships or second residences. Um, they might be a resident. They're not a citizen. Some have second passports. Some do not. So everyone has a different idea and you're, you know, it sounds like you're in your, um, thirties, late thirties you might be wanting something different than somebody who's in their 60s Correct. and looking to retire and increase their quality of living, right? So I, I guess when you're working with clients, you, you're you asking about objectives, right? What does the client want? What are they looking for? Uh, mm-hmm. What would you say? Yeah, I think that is the challenge, right? I mean, I can totally mention countries that I think are, are great. I like to go with places that... Um, are not on the radar. I like to be a bit contrarian. I think that's when you find deals. Um, yeah, what, what's the best country for me is not going to be the best country for someone else because I'm more of a city person. I like the occasional retreat uh, to the countryside or to the uh, the beach or whatever else, but but not for very long. And so places that I've identified, um, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, probably in my opinion, the most underrated place in Asia to live. People think, oh, it's not much of a tourist destination. Well, that's exactly what makes it a great place to live. It's, it's very comfortable for someone coming from the Western world, very developed. Um, you know, here in where I am right now in Bogota, Colombia, uh, we came to the same conclusion, uh, my wife and I, was that um, we were in Mexico City for a while. I've been to Mexico City many times. I love it. We've looked at property. There are some good deals there. I do wonder if it's a bit too much New York, where it's just, so in your face and so much going on. And I think Bogota is a great example of a place that has uh, 8 million people. I believe it's the fourth, million, uh, fourth, fourth largest city in Latin America uh, or in the Americas. Um, but it's a lot more calm and you can get incredible deals on property now. Tbilisi, Georgia, not as big of a city, very interesting place, amazing food, amazing wine, nice friends. Um, there are lots of places that are good. I try and stay away from 
you know, expensive, overrated places. Uh, if you want to move to Paris, that's cool. It's high-tax, it's expensive, it's overrated, it's overdone. You've got 97 million tourists outside of your living room. Just not for me. I don't think there's anything innovative about wanting to go to Paris, but certainly uh, the goal is not to live an innovative life. It's to live a happy one. Uh, for me, it's just not the place to go. And so um, I, I, I think these are not bad places to check out for no matter what your age is, my parents, uh, my parents love Kuala Lumpur. Uh, it's a little hot for them, but, um, you know, there's a lot of other places, uh, out there as well. So is this lifestyle ideal for, and let's talk about somebody who's, you know, not looking to retire, uh, is looking to still accumulate wealth and build a business. Is This lifestyle would be more ideal for somebody who's either, uh, say has a virtual business or has an online business or has uh, more like a coaching type of business mm-hmm. structure. Is that correct? Well, I think it's opening up. Um, you know, we've got several, uh, the last year has been very interesting because we've seen a lot more ultra high net worth individuals uh, hiring us. We have one gentleman, he's got a team of 40 people. Uh, he's paying for them all to travel together. It's a big, big, big company, and they're just all going together. They're looking for one or two new places to go. We're helping them with that. Um, we have another gentleman who runs a big company in California with about 600 employees there. Uh, he says, you know what, I've dialed it in. I'm going to be somewhere else. I'm going to go where I'm treated best. We have another gentleman who has three offices around the world, and they, they have workers who travel to about 15 different countries. Um, so while, yes, if you're a one-man show or if you're someone like me who, who owns a business on your own and you've got a, a team of people somewhere else um, or you're a consultant or a coach or selling stuff on you know, e-commerce sites, what have you, that's a great fit. What, I, what I've been predicting for a while now and I'm starting to see whether I created the demand and, and, made, and made it permissible for these folks to call or, or whether it was just you know, organic and, and we predicted it, uh, was you're going to see more people doing this. And I think that you're going to see a lot more people who are, um, you know, high net worth and ultra high net worth doing it and, and putting management uh, in place. Because uh, for me, it's really a mental barrier. One of the businesses that I uh, invested in and in, in quasi-managed, uh, the last business I sold in the United States uh, before that I had was a swimming pool cleaning business, born out of necessity. Nobody would clean my swimming pool the way I wanted. So I said, I'll buy a tiny company and scale it up. And even though I was sitting there in the same town, I didn't touch anyone's swimming pool. I didn't know it. I still don't know anything about swimming pools. And so, you know, it was a mental comfort to be there. But if someone didn't show up one day, it wasn't like I was going out and cleaning the pools for them or doing the repairs for them. And so I, I kind of think, you know, if you put the right systems in place, almost anyone can be uh, location independent. Do you need to give up your American citizenship? No. Uh, I chose to, partially for personal reasons, largely, I mean, really for personal reasons. Um, no, you don't have to. Now, what's interesting is, you know, what really made me realize I, I had to do it was not only did it bring me a great sense of calm for many unique personal reasons that made it apply to everybody else. Um, but when, when Trump was elected, and I'm not pro-Trump or anti-Trump, uh, I, I think it's, it's a good thing to shock the system as a contrarian. I also realize this guy's not going to keep the status quo. The status quo is expats, while bothered, uh, still had, you know, some ability to function. When a guy who talked about America first, America first, America first got elected, I said, well, you know, that's cool, but I'm guessing he's going to have a bunch of crazy stuff that's going to make my life as someone who does business overseas even more difficult. And so... Uh, there are people who come to me and say they want to renounce citizenship. Some of them are it's for purely financial reasons. Other of them kind of share my philosophy where it's just it's just a bad emotional fit for them. Um, and they can afford to to create the infrastructure to not be American. Um, so, no, the answer is simply no. And I would never tell someone, I would never encourage someone to go down my path unless that's the path that's comfortable for them. So did Trump make it more difficult for those who chose to keep their citizenship yeah. and do businesses? Yeah, I mean, look, the only reason, I mean, I, and very little has been discussed about it because there's so few people. And again, it speaks to the culture. You know, there are certain cultures where everything's in the diaspora and people are very international. 
Um, the United States is not one of those countries because most people are happy. I mean, you know, again, I have a mailbox in the United States and I wanted my wife to get a, a package that, that I said, you know, go online, fill the postal consent form, get it notarized. She said the whole process is made. Everything is so U.S. centric. You call Apple. Hey, my MacBook's not working. Well, gee, great. When are you going to be back in the U.S.? She's like, I've never been in the U.S. I was there once when I was 14 years old. I mean, look, when am I coming back? Am I required to live in the U.S. to buy a MacBook? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's very easy to pull off in that country. And so there was very little press, but there was a lot of press about, you know, people who ran businesses around the world who had to, like, be double and triple tax to take out money to pay um, different taxes and levies that, that the Trump administration put out on, on people running businesses overseas. We had a gentleman in Australia who was paying, like, 40% tax, and he was getting all kinds of harassment from some of the new stuff they were putting into place. It's not like the guy's living a zero-tax lifestyle, but – it didn't matter because some of the stuff they put in place was so sloppy, so rushed, and just so designed for political points um, that uh, it ended up hurting a lot of the wrong people. What was targeted for Apple ended up sticking a lot of people who uh, who weren't Apple. Uh, and so I, I just felt as I sat in Kuala Lumpur, the Majestic Hotel, uh, with about 20 of my uh, top clients, on the day of Trump's inauguration, I said, this is very interesting. And I'm glad that the status quo got a, got a punch in the jaw. But I said, this is, this is going to be very bad for me. Um, and yeah, I think it has been worse. So is it really possible to live a zero tax lifestyle while still having assets and income? Cause there are people who can live a zero tax lifestyle, but don't have, anything, right? Don't have income, don't have assets, don't have anything at all. So it's having income and having a lifestyle and having net worth, whether you control it and you don't own it, right? Is that, is that possible? Doing it legally, of course. Yeah, well, of course. And that's what we talked about here. That's when I started this uh, stuff, when I started the brand Nomad Capitalist in 2013, I, I decided two things. Number one, I'm going to focus on being 100% legal. And number two, I'm going to focus on using my real name, my real face. I'm going to, I'm going to be out there, which at the time was unheard of. A bunch of guys use stock photos and fake names and hid behind uh, dark curtains. Um, and you, they attracted the kind of people that they attracted. I'm trying to get more people into the tent. And so, um, you know, as a U.S. citizen, uh, if you're making an income of, of about $100,000 a year, year or less, there is a way to live totally tax-free. Above that, you're going to pay something that would be far less than what you're, you're paying living in the United States. If you're a U.S. citizen and you have passive income, it greatly depends. Uh, obviously, this is not tax advice, so this is a service that we provide in conjunction with attorneys and accountants who work with us. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can, you can pay very little tax um, as a U.S. citizen. If you're not a U.S. citizen, you can pay zero tax. Um, I don't think that paying zero is necessarily the goal because some people's lifestyles dictate that, hey, it'd be nice to pay five or eight or 10 or 12. And um, I think that the bigger issue that people like I have is um, just make it simple. I mean, you know, sometimes you go to a country where there's 5% tax and it's the paperwork that pushes you away, not the actual 5%, which is nominal. Um, so yeah, the answer is, uh, for Americans, more difficult. Uh, for non-Americans, certainly possible. Um, but what I would say is uh, I pay, I think, a peak of about 42 or 43% in the U.S. Uh, 10% seems pretty normal. And quite frankly, when I go to countries like Montenegro, I've got a summer home there, their tax rate's 9%. And I say to myself, why would anyone try and get away from paying 9%? You know, if you're paying 43 and you want to go to zero, Cool. Why not? But, you know, if you're paying nine to start, you're probably pretty happy. Absolutely. And that's that's huge difference between 42% and 9%, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I mean, th that's my philosophy here. You know, um, I, I find legal ways to keep my exposure very low. I think the U.S. government and most governments waste money. And I think people in my world... Um, you know, people from Eastern Europe and Central Europe and, and South America, people who are my friends, my team, my, my wife, et cetera, they realize the government wastes your money. It's going to pay people off. It's corruption. Yes, the United States is a corrupt country, too. It's going to cost a billion dollars to get elected president. That's not exactly the, you know, the pinnacle of transparency. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 
if they weren't so greedy, if they didn't take 43%, and by the way, you know, half the country would want, if I were still there, they'd want me to pay more. It's not enough. <laughs> you know, if you make a seven-figure or eight-figure income, it's not enough to pay 43%. So it, it's like a never-ending money grab. And you're just like, you know what, forget this. Uh, I don't think anyone's leaving the United States over 10 or 15%, uh, except me, maybe. But uh, um, the problem is they just ask for so much, and it's never enough. No, and there is... And and again, I go back to the conditioning, right? There is a conditioning. Well, actually, I'm going to take it one step further. Social engineering, it's been going on for over, well, it's been going on since the beginning of time. But in the U.S., it's been going on for over 100 years, moving us away from our supposed constitutional democratic form of government to socialist, right? And these younger generations have been conditioned and programmed to believe that those who have more than they do owe it to them. And so if you're, you know, middle class, upper middle class, wealthy, you've got a target on your back. They're coming after you. They're coming after you to pay more taxes, not less taxes, well, I do think that's true. I mean, you know, one thing uh, that I, I had learned growing up, my father's side hustle was, was being a radio host. He started at 14, worked his way up to being the, uh, the afternoon host on, on the big station where we, where we lived in Ohio. And, um, I mean, he got hate mail. This is back before email. I think we just started getting email at the very end before the radio industry consolidated and they fired a bunch of people. And he just went back to running his business. Uh, but he would get like physical letters, like, you know, you're a jerk and like, I'm going to come and get you and that kind of stuff. And, and now that I'm out there in the public spotlight, I mean, we've got, uh, close to about a million readers and viewers a month and we get all kinds of stuff. And, you know, no matter what position you take, uh, you're going to be hated. And of course, I'm in the, the position of saying, Hey, uh, I'm a successful guy. You know, let me, let me teach you what works for me. And if you're successful and obviously plenty of people who aren't so successful watch that and it bothers them. Uh, and I think that's the price of success, especially in this very transparent internet age. And I think a lot of that translates into policy. But, you know, my position on countries and on states and all that is their brand. Uh, California is falling apart. Uh, it's overpriced. Uh, they waste your money. They have the most draconian tax collection agency on earth. Oh, and by the way, there's about a thousand places in the world with better beaches and, and you know, better beach babe than, uh, than California, which is what everyone claims to go there for, uh, beaches and, and attractive people. Um, and so California, and to a certain extent the United States, you know, they're like the Coca-Cola of countries. If Coke decided to go in and toy with the recipe, billions of people like me around the world would still buy Coke. Why? Because we see that red, that specific color of red. We've been drinking it from our childhood, and we can't resist. And we don't stop to consider, you know, is this brand still worth it? Same thing with a lot of luxury brands. You know, I got a, I was at Louis Vuitton yesterday. I like some of their stuff, but let's be honest. Some of their stuff is also of mediocre quality and they're living off of a brand back when they made good quality stuff. And to me, uh, that's how I look at these countries and these governments. Yet the average person who goes to Louis Vuitton just wants to go there and be part of it. And they don't really think, you know, hey, are these shoes going to fall apart in six months? You know, it's so interesting, Andrew, speaking with you, the the way you look at where you live in the country is so different than the, the typical conditioning. You're looking at the world as a marketplace. You're looking at a place to live as a marketplace. There's, you know, 100 and, you know, what, 180 countries out there that I could choose to live. And which is the best place for me to live from the perspective of maybe raising my family or having a business or investing my money, spending my time. And it's, it's such a great way of looking at the world, right? Because it goes back to, I believe, conditioning and programming. If you were born and raised in California, uh, in the U.S., you think it's the best place in the world. It's the only place in the world. And it really is, it speaks to the small-mindedness, right, that we're raised with. 
and you are able to break out of that matrix and think globally, like where in the world would I like to live and who's going to treat me the best and who's going to give me the most for my money? Well, most for everything. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who, um, he, he, he brought up a very interesting concept to me that I've repeated before. He said, you know, look at all these guys moving from California to Florida to save on tax. He said, while you're moving and you're leaving your family and your friends and the kids are being taken out of school and the dogs being put in the, the kennel in the back of the car and all that, why don't you go to Puerto Rico and pay 5% or 4%? And while you're doing that, why not just go to Panama, you know? And, and, and there's these mental barriers that we have around things. But what he told me was, he said, you know, and I'm very bad at this part of, of you know, I'm a typical kind of wasp entrepreneur who winter is coming and, you know, don't pat yourself on the back too much. And he said, let me pat you on the back because your superpower is not having to be attached to where you're from. And that's a hard thing for most people. That said, you know what? I, I have developed superpowers in life uh, that I did not have naturally that other people do have naturally. So I have the natural ability to just not be patriotic and to go where I'm treated best. And that's my life philosophy. Um, but I think that if people stop and look at this and they examine it, um, you know, I've been to over a hundred countries. I've had a gun put in my face one time in a country uh, that I've, I probably wouldn't recommend. I mean, it's to most people. It's not really a country that most people are going to go to. Uh, other than that, I've had amazing experiences. I've been safe. Uh, I've had a great standard of living and uh, so much so that I was willing to foreclose on my ability to ever go back to uh, and live at least in, in the place where I'm from. And that's how strongly I feel about it. Uh, you know, that's not a marketing statement. A lot of people out there, they make marketing statements. You know, a lot of people in this business, they're attorneys, they're accountants, um, and, and they just help people with this stuff as a job. It's not a job for me. I've taken it to the extreme in my own life. And I think that shows that if you're willing to give it some thought, you can too. Yeah, I think that's very, very well said. You know, that is you, you learn to detach from your, from the country, the resident, you don't have that emotional attachment. You're, you don't have, you know, and we're, and I'm struggling with the words cause I don't know exactly um, how to articulate it, but um most people do not have that. They have a deep, um, you know, there are people, my, my husband's family is from Pittsburgh. Many of his friends live literally a mile away from they where they grew up, right? They're not even living away from their neighborhood where they grew up. And so it's like the extreme, right? You've got those people and then you've got you on the other hand where you have no detachment to a certain place. Um, and just having, I have an attachment to me. I have an attachment to me and loving myself enough to, to go where I'm treated best. That's, that's great. That's, uh, it's so interesting. What about family for those who have families, right? I guess it's, um, when I had my son, I felt a very strong need to, um, build roots somewhere, right? How is that so as well, a global citizen or someone who's thinking more on a global level? I guess you prioritize other values uh -huh. versus, you know, putting in roots and setting, you know, a, a nesting and having a home where, you know, you've got, um, you've got community and you've got, you know, it's just totally different. Well, I think I've done things backwards from most people in life where I've gone out and done, 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 done. I've, I've eaten all the crap, you know, I've, I've, you know, like any successful entrepreneur and I imagine you're perhaps the same. And now my goal at 35 and in, in the last couple of years has been how to de-stress, how to get rid of stuff that no longer serves me. Um, I'll tell, you know what I've discovered by the way, just as a sidebar is that every time I cling onto something thinking I want it, for example, for the longest time, I wanted to stay in five-star hotels. I grew up, we'd occasionally go to five-star hotels. And so staying 250 nights a year in hotels up until recently, I wanted to stay in the best hotels. You know what I learned about these great hotels of the world, the St. Regis's, and, and for me, it was the Marriott chain. You have a bunch of robots who read from a corporate playbook that if you ask them an original question, you could spend the entire year trying to get a clear answer, and they'll just go back to playbook answer to playbook answer to playbook answer 
They don't execute well. You order a cup of tea, it takes them an hour. You ask them to do something, they don't listen. You, you tell them, you know, don't close my blinds at night, and they do the opposite. They're terrible at executing. And yet again, there's this thing where you want to buy into the brand of, well, the luxury of being someone who stays at five-star hotels. The hard thing for me was detaching from the image of being a guy who stayed at five-star hotels, going out, sucking it up. I'm buying a collection of properties and renovating a collection of properties around the world, including right now after we're done talking here in Bogota. So I don't ever have to stay in a hotel ever again. But it was so hard to detach from that image. And so I think that the image, whether it's, you know, giving up on, on the community in Pittsburgh or acknowledging that your child will be okay somewhere else, it's fine. And let me just be clear on one thing. Nomad capitalist means you follow that when there's a new place, that when the place you're in no longer serves you, whether it's the place your money lives, your business lives, or you live, you pick up stakes and go to the next place. If you want to be an expat and go and live in a low tax or tax-free or tax-friendly country uh, and, and raise your child there, I'm totally cool with that. And I'll tell you this, some healthcare in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia is a lot better than most parts of the U.S. Um, there's plenty of good private schools there. And um, for the average person making good money, you'll more than be able to uh, afford all of it. Fascinating. You know, the older I've gotten, I there was a time that, you know, the five-star hotels and the wonderful meals um, prepared by the best chefs and, you know, all of that over time, they certainly lose their appeal. It's just a place to stay and it's just a meal. And it's uh, something that you've got to experience yourself because for some people, that's what they want. That's what they desire. And then, once you've had it over and over and over again, it so loses its appeal. It's so interesting. It's one of the things I, because uh, I do travel quite a bit, and I, I do travel very nicely. And it's it's a, an understanding that I've gotten as I've aged that, you know what, it not everything that glitters is gold, right? Uh, so interesting. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that, when you examine anything in great detail, and and this is something that most people don't do. Most people go through life, and I, you know, I use the example. There was a there was a radio host. You know, people would call in and say, you know, I got my girlfriend pregnant. You know, I'm 21 years old. Like, what am I going to do? It's like, well, how did that happen? I don't know, man. It just happened. <laughs> I don't know how this. How could this happen to me? I don't even know. Uh, and I think people go through most of their life that way. Uh, what I did, you know, I became a Marriott ambassador member and, and I started saying like, well, wait a second. I thought I was supposed to get upgrades. Oh, you know, we have a special exception. Oh, you know, this or that. It's like, and I saw it so much in the United States. I see it so much. Uh, and, and I go for this now and, I, and I'm hyper aware because when you're in other cultures, you can't help but be hyper aware. And so being outside of my home country has drawn so many life lessons to the surface in a way that they may have been hidden um, in the United States, or it may have taken a lot longer to uncover. But when you deal with people from all different cultures, I think you get where you're trying to go a lot faster because you learn things a lot faster. You know, one of my favorite quotes is by Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. And uh, the quote is, I would not give a fig for the simplicity, the side of complexity, but I would give my life for the simplicity on the other side of complexity. And mm-hmm. the the meaning of that for me is if you've never had all the, the five-star hotels or all the travel and all the exotic stuff that we're told is important, you're always wanting it. But once you have it and you see it for what it is, it's so easy to walk away from it or at least see it for what it is. And you've had that opportunity as a young man, uh, especially with your travels and being exposed to so many different cultures and so many different ways of living. And you've been able to, from uh, an arm's length, look at the United States and look at, you know, where, where you should live, where you should reside, how you should design a life in a way that's so unique, Andrew. It's so cool and so refreshing to speak with you and be exposed to your way of thinking. And then from the business side of things, you know, what you offer to your clients, 
Uh, it really is uh, just fantastic. It's not for everybody, right? Uh, it's probably no. for a very small percentage of the population, if that, right? 1% of 1%. But what a cool perspective you've got. Well, I appreciate that. And, and obviously, uh, you know, what I don't want to do is to say that everyone should live the way uh, that I'm living. It's not the goal. It is perhaps a niche thing. Uh, I don't think it's bound by whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have a family, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether what you know what your nationality is, what your income is. I, I think that it's so open now. I've been saying for years, this is going to be blown wide open. You're going to have digital nomads who want to live in Bali and and you know run side hustles and make a thousand dollars a month just to get by. You can have guys like me who want to scale up businesses to seven, eight, nine figures, um, and and just you know do well in, in a tax friendly manner. But what I'd also say is if you've done the analysis in an honest way and you know the alternatives and you're not trapped in the bubble and you think California is worth half of your income, then you've gone where you're treated best. But I imagine most of the 38 million people in California are there by happenstance or there because they bought into the brand. And I just think that people should really understand all the options because the world has changed in our lifetime. Well said. Very well said. So, Andrew, let our listeners know how they can follow you online. So we have nomadcompliments.com. We've put out about 1,400 uh, and counting blog articles. We've got over 600 and some videos on YouTube. Uh, I wrote the book, Nomad Capitalist, available on Amazon, which is kind of a cursory look into a lot of these topics, a lot of anecdotes, a lot of ideas, great place to get started. Uh, and from there, uh, if you know, you get your head around some of this stuff and you understand, you know, what it is that you are looking for, whether it's all of it, whether it's just a second passport, whether it's just a bank account or whatever. Uh, we have a service that helps people. Uh, it's highly bespoke. Um, it's not for everyone. Uh, it's not cheap, but uh, we kind of walk people through over the course of a, of a period of time, all the diagnostics on the strategic side and also the human side. Because I think what we've discussed here is there's a human side to this. No one's moving to Belarus to save an extra 2%. It's just, just be a dumb thing to do, unless you want to live in Belarus, I suppose. Uh, but uh, that's what we do. So I think the book's a great place to start, um, called Nomad Capitalist. And um, you know, if you decide you need some help with this, then uh, we're here for you. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on Living Wealthy Radio and sharing your perspective, sharing your business, and I wish you all the luck in the world. I'd love to have you back on Living Wealthy Radio and take the the conversation to another level. My pleasure and, and really appreciate being on your show. You're doing a great job. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com.